chapter 9, verse 1. When the news reached all the kings on the west side of the Jordan and the hill country, the lowlands, and all along the Mediterranean coast as far as Lebanon, including the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they formed an alliance to fight against Joshua and Israel. So it says that all these people in the hill country and the people on the coastal plains and all the way up in the north, they heard and they decided to form an alliance. Now something has changed now. Before we were told they were melting in fear. And God specifically said in Deuteronomy, we're going to go to city by city by city <coughs> by city. Now the kings hear this. And they form an alliance. So this is the first time that Israel is ever going to face an alliance of multiple kings and multiple armies at once. And the question is, why in the world did a people melting in fear, who God said, if you're obedient to me, we'll take it city by city by city. Now, it's not turning out like God said it was. Now these people think they can form an alliance against Israel. What changed? Right now, what would make a bunch of kings who are melting in fear and did nothing to try to stop them at Jericho all of a sudden decide we can form an alliance and stop them? AI. AI. They saw these people were actually could be defeated. See, so a lot of times we kind of feel like, oh, God, this isn't what you promised me. It's because you screwed up. Remember, God promised them, we're going to the promised land 11 months from now. But it ended up being 40 years. Because God failed? Because they failed. If they would have just trusted God, they would have taken it city by city by city by city. And now, for the first time ever, all these kings think, hey, we actually have a chance to defeat them. And what they're mostly thinking is, their God is not as powerful as what we thought. Because the gods are responsible for everything. This is the big argument of judges. This is very easy. The whole nation say, you're pathetic and your God is pathetic. But the whole point of the book of Judges is to show you that Israel failed not because God is weak, but because they sin. And so now the enemy gains more confidence against them because they failed to trust and obey God. And this is what you are seeing in America. People have lost their awe and respect for Yahweh. They have lost this fear of the Lord. They have lost this idea of really taking His word because we, as a corporate body of Christ in America, overall have really failed miserably to truly trust in God as absolutely sovereign. And now, where before, the enemy didn't seem that big. But now we've, most Christians are living in constant fear of what's going to happen to them one day as believers in this country and what's, going, what's, what's turning around, how the tables are going to turn. Because the world's forming an alliance against a people that they don't see that impressive anymore. And I'm not trying to create the us versus them mentality because that's a horrible mistake that Christians have done too. But I'm just trying to make the point that we are living more in fear and the world is hating us because of our lack of trust and faith and our sin in our life. 
And if we had really truly been trusting God and really truly been going out and loving them and seeing them as people who need to be served, and there, there would have never been an us versus them. And the reality is they have now presented a weakness. They have opened. Now, here's the thing. It's still going to be totally easy for God. The problem is not, oh my gosh, can God now handle an alliance? The problem is, can Israel still have their confidence now facing an alliance? That's the real question. The question is not, can God handle it? The question is, can Israel still have courage in the face of an alliance? Now, when the residents of Gibeon heard that Joshua did to Jericho and Ai, they did something clever. They collected some provisions and put worn-out sacks on their donkeys, along with worn-out wineskins and ripped patch, and they had torn, worn-out patched sandals on their feet and dressed in worn-out clothes, and all their bread was dry and hard. And they came to Joshua at the camp of Gilgah and said to them, And the men of Israel, We have come from a distant land. Make a treaty with us. Gibeah, Gibeon is right here. They just conquered Ai. They're traveling about 10 miles. But they got worn out clothes, dusty sandals, dry, crusty bread, dry water skins, and they're like, we've traveled from far, far, far away. Now here's what's interesting. That means they know something about Israel's law. Because Israel made it very clear, you're allowed to attack and destroy every single nation inside these borders. In fact, you're supposed to. But you're not allowed to attack any nation outside these borders. They're not under harem, the destruction of consecration. Gibeon knows that, and they've made it look like they've come from far away, and they've heard the news about what Israel is doing to make a treaty with them. Now remember, the law also said they're not allowed to make a treaty with anybody. And I mean anybody. It doesn't matter whether they're in or outside these nations. They're not allowed to make treaties, ever. And so Gibeon is coming in, deceiving them, and to making them think that they're not from Canaan, and they're offering a treaty. And not only are they not allowed to make a treaty with anybody, they're not allowed to make a treaty with the Canaanites. And the question is... What should Israel do faced with the people that they don't know? Go to God. The men of Israel, verse 7, said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live near us, so how can we make a treaty with you? Why in the world would they think that? There's something that they're like, Ah, something doesn't feel right here. But they said to Joshua, We are willing to be your subjects. So Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? They told him, Your subjects have come from a distant land because of the reputation of Yahweh your God. For we have heard all the news about all that you did in Egypt, or he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two Amorite kings on the other side of the Jordan, King Sihon of Heshbon and King Ong of Bashan and Asheroth. Our leaders and all who live in our land told us, Take provisions for your journey and go meet them. Tell them, We are willing to be your subjects. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it in our home the day that we started out to meet you, but now is dry and hard. These wineskins are filled with brand new wine, but look how they have ripped. Our clothes and sandals have worn out because it has been a very long journey. They're really selling it. The men examined some of the provisions, and they failed to ask Yahweh's advice. 
And Joshua made a peace treaty with them and agreed to let them live, and the leaders of the community sealed it with an oath. Now, in case you miss it, the narrator makes sure that you know they failed to talk to Yahweh. This is the second time Joshua's failed to do this. He failed to talk to God before they went after Ai. And now he's failed to talk to God when dealing with the Gibeonites. And Joshua is not doing as good of a job as what Moses did and going to God. Now, this is very important to you. The narrator, what he's done, he's pounded this into your head. Moses went to God. Moses went to God. Moses went to God. Moses went to God. You saw it through all of Exodus, all of Numbers. And he makes it very clear. So you've seen this pattern. Now Joshua is breaking this pattern. He doesn't go to God. But the narrator makes you sure that you know that he's broken this pattern. So you didn't go to God. You didn't go to God. Because when you get to Judges, the narrator is not going to make any comment. They're going to do all these things, and the narrator is never going to tell you whether it was good or bad that they went to God or did not go to God or all that kind of stuff because he figures out to the Torah in the book of Joshua, you should be able to figure out whether that's good or not. And this is, this is what you need to understand about the Bible. The Bible is a teacher. And the Bible kind of like holds your hands on a lot of things. But when we start getting to Judges and Ruth, and especially Samuel and Kings, we don't get as much narrator commentary on things. Because the Bible kind of expects you to, like you're in college now. Samuel and Kings is college. And you're supposed to be able to figure out on your own whether this thing is godly or not, because it assumes you've already paid attention to all the books that came before that. And then the narrator commentary is going to become less and less and less as we get through the books. Because God now wants you to be able to look at these lives and discern it. And the lives are going to get messier. They're going to get grayer and more complicated with David. And a lot of people misunderstand a lot of things because we want the narrator to keep telling us how to evaluate. And the narrator says, I'm done. You should be able to evaluate on your own. Pay attention to these patterns because... You need to see him now because the narrator is going to step aside when we get into the future books. And he wants you to figure this out. They didn't go to God. Verse 16, they make a peace treaty. So now they're in a conundrum. Because here's the reality. They're commanded by God to do what to the Gibeonites? Kill them. But they're also commanded by God to do what with treaties? Honor them. See what sin does? Sin is complicated. The only reason we struggle with a God that punishes people and at the same time is loving is because of sin. The only reason we deal with a God who is just but also can't be merciful at the same time but is both is because of sin. Sin just constantly complicates everything. And all they had to do was just go to God. But it got really complicated really fast because they failed to just do one prayer. And I think we can think of a lot of places in our life if you would just slow down for like five or ten minutes and prayed, or even commit the whole day to fasting, you wouldn't be in the mess that you're in. And the Bible is trying to teach us this lesson. Oh, we the sheep. Three days after they made the treaty with them, the Israelites found out that they were from the local area and lived nearby. Oops. So the Israelites set out and on the third day arrived at their cities. Now notice how often it mentions that. Three days later... Three days journey away. It's really trying to let you know how close they really were. They lived nearby, so they began Kibra. 
Verse 18, the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the community had sworn an oath to them in the name of Yahweh, God of Israel. The whole community criticized the leaders, rightfully so. But all the leaders told the whole communities, we swore an oath to them in the name of Yahweh, God of Israel. So now we can't hurt them. We must let them live so we can escape the curse attached to the oath. We swore to them. The leaders then added, let them live. So they became woodcutters and water carriers for the whole community as the leaders had decided. It is the leader's fault that they're in a treaty with people they're supposed to destroy and that everyday normal person has every right to be angry with their leadership. So in that sense, the people are right and the leaders are wrong. But at the same time, the, lead, the community is keep pressuring the leaders to just go ahead and kill them all. And the leaders are right for saying, no, we made a treaty and we have to honor that. And so now what you've seen is a breakdown of the unity. The, the people are right in one area and wrong in the other. And the leaders are right in one area and wrong in the other. And unity is beginning to break down. Not only do we have now a division across the river, now we have a division of troops that Joshua did, and now we're seeing a division of leadership in the people. And sin is doing all this. Sin is breaking down unity. And one of the main emphasis is you have to do this unified. You have to be of one mind, one mission, completely committed to God if you're to be successful. And when sin begins to enter the picture, the unity begins to break down and conflict begins to arise, which is going to increase sin. Kudos to the leaders who are standing up to the people and saying, we made a treaty, we have to honor it. At least they didn't make the mistake of them going in and violating the treaty and killing them all. So they decided we're going to make them subjects. Now that is how you're to treat people from other nations that are ungodly. See, now that may seem harsh, like, so you go conquer somebody, you make them your slaves. And we're like, well, that, that's, how could God allow that? Well, one, and I've already spent a while on this in numbers and the law, but slavery is not the same thing it was in America. In America, slavery was just downright demonic and evil. But slavery during this time period is more of like what we think of indentured servanthood. Remember Joseph, even though he's taken by force and enslaved, he ended up becoming the manager of the entire house. Oftentimes, slaves would do the same job that they did before when they were free. And if you got in the right house, life could be better being a slave for Bill Gates than living in the projects free. And no joke. Okay, if you're, if you're a slave for Bill Gates and he's providing everything for you, education and food for your children and Social Security and, and health care and all that kind of stuff, that's way better than being free in some low-income apartment struggling day by day trying to get by. It was more like servanthood. You got paid. And then remember, after seven years, you were allowed to be free and go free, even if you couldn't afford to free yourself, unless you're like, I can't even afford to live on my own, so I still want to be a slave. It was way different. But at the same time, too, the reason they did this to foreigners is the foreigners are pagans. Now, remember, the only reason they attacked a foreigner is because the foreigner first attacked them. So this is consequences. We're not allowed to just wipe you all out because God didn't allow this. You're not sinful enough for this to happen to you. But at the same time, you attacked us. We're only defending ourselves. And we, because we killed your father and your brothers because they attacked us, you're now, as a woman and children, left without men in your life, which is hard to survive without part of that. I mean, today in our culture, it's easy. But in a culture where you're surviving on farms, if you lose half your family, this isn't sexist. This is just hard. And the reality is what they would do is they would take them slaves, which means the women and the children are still taken care of, 
but it also means that they don't have influence because they're going to bring their pagan ways with them. And what it means is they're going to be slaves for probably about seven years, and hopefully as they see Israel live differently, they'll actually want to convert to this faith. And when they become free under the, the law after seven years, they actually might actually be part of the faith. Now, if Israel is not living godly and they're not living the faith and they're committing idolatry and all that kind of stuff, then they're not going to see anything different and they're not going to change. But it doesn't matter anyways when they become free because they're not going to influence Israel in a bad way because Israel's already bad. So the reality is it's actually a good, slow way to integrate the foreigners into the community rather than just them abruptly coming in with all their God. They become woodcutters. Verse 22, Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said to them, Why did you trick us by saying we live far away from you when you really were living nearby? I almost want to go to Joshua and say, Ah, uh, because they didn't want to die. I mean, you can't blame them. They compare them to Rahab then doing what they did. Except they didn't do it by faith. They did it through... Tr- she lied. I mean, they did. She lied, but remember, she was lying to the king who was trying to kill them. But ultimately, in the end, she was like, she didn't trick her way into Israel. She might have dis. But this isn't. But they're not. There's not faith there. They never have. They said because we want to know your God, because we want to be a part of your God. See, Rahab right at the bat says, "I know what your God has done." Your God is a God of the sky and the earth. No pagan view the gods that way. Your God is a God who delivered you. Your God is loving. I want to be a part of that. But the Gibeonites have never said that. They never come and said, we want to be a part of your community and covenant. They said, make an alliance with us. Rahab said, servants, yes. But Rahab says, I want to be a part of the covenant. Nowhere do they say, I want to know your God. Nowhere do they say, we've heard about your God. Nowhere do they say, we want to be a part of the covenant community. They said, make a treaty with us and we'll be your servants. That's not faith. That's, I don't want to die. You see, if somebody came to the church and you, you're, they come forward at the altar and they come to you and you're like, oh, why did you come up here? They're like, I don't want to die. I'll be a slave in the church. I'll serve you in any kind of way. Just don't let me go to hell. That would be way different than somebody saying, I have sin. And I want to know this God. And I want a relationship with him. If somebody immediately comes and says, I don't want to go to hell. I will be your servant in this church. I'll do whatever it takes just make a treaty with me. Don't let me go to hell. We would be kind of like, ah, yeah, we, 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 let's take a class. Okay? But Rahab, she came in and said, your God is the God of the sky and the land. Your God has delivered you. Your God is amazing and loving. I want to be part of the covenant community. I want to be a faith. Your God is, I want to, the Gibeonites never said that. They never said that. They just said, and, 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 and once again, yes, Rahab deceived, but she deceived the king. She did not deceive God. Not that God can be deceived, but you know what I mean. They said to Joshua, I, we were carefully reported to your subjects how Yahweh your God commanded Moses, his servant, to assign you the whole land and destroy all that live in the land before you, because you were, um, were in the land from before you, because you, we were terrified we'll lose our lives. So once again, 
We, Rahab says, I want to know your God. They say, because we know that you've been commanded to kill all of us. We don't want to die. So now we are in your power. Do to us what you think is good, appropriate. Joshua did as they said, and he kept the Israelites from killing them. And that day he made them woodcutters and water carriers for the community and for the altar of Yahweh at the divinely chosen site. They continue that capacity the very day. Now here's another mistake. It's subtle. Who is the only people who are allowed to serve in the tabernacle? The Levites. And they made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the Levites in the tabernacle. Chances are, I guarantee you, that they're not going into the forbidden places or God would be really angry. But the fact that they're actually allowed to go near it and serve around it, they have taken a paganite Canaanite people marked for destruction who are idolaters. They have never once said, we are going to give up our gods. See, Rahab clearly said, your God will be my God. They have never said, we repent of our idolatry, we repent of our sins, we're going to give up your God, our gods, your God. They've never talked about Yahweh. They never say anything. They tricked and deceived them. And now Joshua places them close to the tabernacle. He didn't learn his mistake. He doesn't consult God. He, he's, he, has, he is totally godly and noble in saying, we're going to honor this treaty. But he should have immediately gone to God and said, how should we honor this treaty? What do we do with these people? I mean, my goodness, what a conundrum. I'm supposed to kill these people, but we made a treaty with them. I have to honor them. What do you do with a people like that? They never went to God. And Joshua three times has showed his failure in going to God. He's incredibly godly. He's, and he's very faithful in a lot of ways. But he's making a lot of decisions on his own. And, and listen, a lot of this seems very innocent. Reuben and Gad living over here, not that big of a deal. Breaking, dividing soldiers up, but this is all going to compound itself. And the Gibeonites are actually going to eventually merge and assimilate into Israel. And here's what's interesting. When we get to the end of Judges, the Gibeonites, the Gibeon city, is going to commit a horrific sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then a man by the name of Saul is going to come from the Gibeonite city. In a way, you think, oh, it's not that big of a deal because the Gibeonites kind of just disappear from the biblical history and they kind of just assimilate and marry in. Until it tells you, you're reading the story about the Benjamites doing this and the Benjamites doing this and Saul is from Benjamin. You might think, oh, Benjamin's really horrible. Until you really pay attention to the Benjamites who lived in Gibeon. The Benjamites who Saul who came from Gibeah, which is really, Gibeah and Gibeon are like so close together, they're practically the same city. And what you're realizing is, I can't prove it, but the narrator's intentionally wanting you to scratch your head. Could that have anything to do with this? We don't see a direct, and they became these horrible idolaters that were worshiping Satan, and it became this horrible city, and all the parents were like, don't go there. It actually becomes worse and more subtle. They intermarry. And the question is, why is Benjamin the way that they are? Could it be because the Gibeonites? 
And that's a question that never gets answered, but you can't help have that in the back of your head when every single time something bad happens and judges and Samuel until David comes along, it's Gibeah, 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 Gibeon, Gibeon, Gibeon. And you begin to wonder what is going on there. Joshua's con- lack of co- talking to God has got long-term consequences. And remember, it's never going to affect him. It's the children. 300 years later, it's still going to come back and bite them. And he's long dead. And we need to realize this. What feels very innocent, sometimes just making very simplistic decisions in our life, and we're like, oh, crap, yeah, I know. Kick me in the rear end. I forgot to pray again. We have no idea how that's going to ripple up into a huge storm one day for the future generations. And probably a lot of us can go back and Think of a lot of people in the past who probably should have done a lot more of that no matter how godly they were, and that's why we're dealing with what we're dealing in our community right now. Whatever community you want to talk about. And so this is their problem. That's, that's the heart of the narratives. Now the narrative is going to begin to wane. We're going to get one tiny little more brief narrative in chapter 10, and then it's going to just start becoming a lot of overviews and summaries.